Amen. Good morning. It's always good, but it was especially good this morning to worship and praise. Amen. It's awesome. Come on, bless the praise team. Before I uh, read our text today, I just want to remind all the leadership, I know that you've been notified and you know about that, but we if you hold a position of leadership here at Grace Point, we're meeting here tomorrow night at 6.30 here in the sanctuary, so please come to that very important meeting. We don't meet that often, so we want you to be here uh, tomorrow night. And then also all of our uh, Kingdom Change Ministries, our network ministries, the pastors and all will be joining us as well. So we invite you to come and to be part of that. Amen? Look over at somebody and tell them, don't forget tomorrow night. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Today's title is He Came to Save, Not to Condemn. That's good enough. Amen. Y'all, we'll see you next Sunday. Hallelujah. He came to save, not to condemn. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved. He didn't just love, he so loved. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Isn't that good news? But that the world through him might be saved. I don't mean that all the world is saved like a lot of people are teaching nowadays. But he said that the world might be saved. It's available to them. The grace of God has appeared unto all men. And to, many, and to as many as have received him. To them he gave the power. The right is what that word is. It's not the word dunamis power. It's the word exousia which means authority. He gave them the authority to become sons of God. I was told all my life that Jesus died on the cross because I was a rotten sinner. That was the gospel that I heard. And therefore now he saved me, you dirty rotten sinner. And now you're still a sinner, but you're just one saved. You're just a saved sinner. And now you need to, you've been saved to serve, so you need to pay back your life for his life that he gave to you which is really a, a ridiculous, almost blasphemous offense to God to try to pay God back for what he did. And, uh, but God sent his son. Now, if you just stop and think, and I know these verses are really familiar to most of us, but God must have greatly, greatly, greatly valued this world in order to send Jesus to save it. Now you got you got to think about God, the value that God saw. He he saw great potential in Christ in me, the hope of glory, in order to send his son to die for me. I'm gonna say this and I'll let you be seated. No nobody walks onto a car lot and there's a car for twenty thousand dollars and the guy says, I'm gonna pay you fifty thousand dollars for it. No, you want to talk him down to, from 20 to 18 or 15 or whatever. But nobody does that. Nobody pays $50,000 for a $20,000 automobile. Now, this is going to require some thinking here, but I'm talking about spiritual thinking. 
Now, me knowing God as I'm just in the process of learning him, he one thing about our God, he's such a benevolent God, benevolent father. But he don't waste anything. After he feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children, he instructs his disciples to gather up the fragments, not the pieces, fragments, just fragments. And he takes 12 baskets full. Everybody thinks they all went home with the disciples, maybe so. But the point is he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. Now, now, now think about this. Nobody pays $50,000 for a $20,000 car. What did Jesus, what did God pay for you? God's smart enough that he would not have paid more for you than was needed or necessary. I'm just trying to get you to see right here. Some of you will connect with it. Some of you, I don't know if you'll hear me. But God didn't waste anything when he paid for you on the cross. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Not for the man, for you. So that means your value to God. You may not value yourself. You may see no worth, dignity, or value in your life. That's why you want to cut yourself. That's why you want to hurt yourself. That's why you want to take your life. That's why you don't have any hope. But all that's lies. It's all lies. And if you could ever see the potential that God sees in you, and the value and the worth and the dignity he placed on you by sending his son to save you, you would wake up different every day. And, and it would not make you self-righteous. It wouldn't make you arrogant. But it would make you see the love, the so loved the world that God gave his son. Because really there's only two choices in that verse. That's a whole other message that most of the church can't take. But it's either perish or everlasting life. That's the two choices. But God so loved the world that he didn't want the world to perish. There's no need to perish but to have everlasting life. And that's what, that's what God wants us to have. That's what he came to give us. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you today for just things that we just really can't articulate, that your presence, even in the, the worship and the praise, and as the, as the minstrels and psalmists were playing their instruments and singing the song, God, I felt your presence and your power. I felt things shift and change and things happening that are unseen but not unfelt, not unknown. And God... We, we thank you that we don't have to understand or try to explain everything. But, Lord, I pray today that we would see your heart for this world, that we have a God that so loved the world. He so loved us. He didn't wait for us to get it together to start loving us. But while we were still sinners, he so loved us. He loved us so much that he would send the most precious thing heaven had to offer. That was your only begotten son. God, let us see that you didn't waste anything by sending Jesus, and you did not overpay for us. You didn't overpay. 
we have lost sight of the value that you see with Christ in us, the hope of glory. Holy Spirit, illuminate our, our hearts and our minds today to see this and to receive it. For every lost person today that hears this message, may they be awakened to the revelation of your love. Let them come running to you and stop running from you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how good they're looking this morning. Give them a big smile. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I was struck this week really with just this thought. Most of the time we never mention these verses that are in the first few chapters of Luke unless it's around Christmas time. But when those angels came to announce the birth of Jesus, God himself making his entrance into the world, and so Jesus did not show up, 30-year-old man out in the wilderness and said, I'm here to get it done. He entered this earth and he became a man. And, and Jesus, I've said this many times, hadn't said it in a long time, but Jesus was not God pretending to be a man. But he was the God-man. Now in seminary, they taught us that, that Jesus was both 100% God and 100% man, which is a mathematical impossibility. Uh, we're not trying to figure it out. We're just trying to, you know, accept that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. But the thing that is important to realize and to keep in mind is that when, when God became a man, when Jesus came to this earth, because in the beginning he was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, but then that Word became manifested and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But yet Jesus did not take upon a different kind of flesh than you're setting in today. And so Jesus, God, laid aside his divinity, not that he was not divine, but he did not avail himself of it. So when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't know everything. And we have churches that still preach and teach that he did. Do you know everything? A couple of you think you do, you don't. You don't know everything. So for Jesus to be like you or for us to aspire to be like him, if Jesus accessed and had something available to him that you and I do not have available to us, then we can, he cannot be our example. He cannot be our forerunner. He cannot be the one whose life we want to emulate on this planet. But when Jesus walked this earth, he did not walk on water in the baby bath when Mary was bathing him. He didn't do miracles. He didn't levitate his toys and bring them across the room. Jesus did not do one miracle until after his baptism at the Jordan River by John the Baptist. If Jesus could have done any miracle, he would have raised his own natural, his father, earthly father, Joseph, from the dead. Between somewhere between 12 years of age and 30 years of age, uh, Jesus' age, his dad died. And they buried him. 
And Jesus now was known not as the carpenter's son, but as the carpenter. Because he's the eldest and he took over the father's business. Cared for his mother and his brothers and sisters. Uh, we don't know how he died. The Bible is silent on that. But if he could have done a miracle, don't you think he would have done one then? If he had the power to raise the dead, don't you think he would have done one then? Of course he would have. But he had no power. He said, I cannot do anything unless what I see my father do. And that was after he was endued with power from on high. Does God know everything? I heard a teaching the other day. Somebody was trying to say that God don't know everything. God does know everything. He's omniscient, all-knowing. But you got to see with God is that God doesn't see things like you and I see. You and I live our whole life on a linear plane. You understand? We, we think in terms of past, present, and future. And, and, and God can see that, but God exists outside of time. Time is a temporary interruption in eternity. God is circular. God has no beginning and no ending. Don't try to figure it out. Just say amen to it. God has no beginning and no ending. God don't have a birthday. So we can't even think like that. But God is the same yesterday, past, today, present, and forever, future. And God sees every bit of that simultaneously right now. So sure God knows what you're going to do five years from now because he already sees it. God's not controlling you like a robot, but God sees it because God exists and dwells outside of this thing called time. It's kind of like this. One time we was down at Disney World several years ago, took our grandbabies, the kids, family was all there. And you know, one of the big deals down there while you're there is the parade. And you want to you catch that parade. You want to see the parade, and they want to see all the Disney characters and all that kind of stuff. And everybody else wants to catch it too, and so it's a, pretty, it's a fight to get you know, to a spot, to a good spot, so you can observe the parade as it comes by. And it's a, kind of a lengthy parade, and it's pretty cool. And so here it comes. And, uh, and so you're watching the parade come by, and you're just seeing what's in your, your, your view, your scope of view. So some of, the, some of the parade that's coming is future, but then as it gets right here, it's present. And then it moves on, and it's in your past. You're right. But if you was in a helicopter... Hovering over at the right altitude, you would see the parade from the start to the finish simultaneously. And you would not be limited to what I would be limited standing on the sidelines watching it come by. Now, do you understand what I'm trying to say? That's how it is with God. God is high and above all of that. When the Bible's talking about a highway, highway made, a highway of holiness, he's not talking about a highway like out here 75, 41. He's talking about a higher way. Highway. So there is a low way to live and there is a higher way to live. And so let's pretend down here on the floor is the low way. This is, in, this is where sin dwells, where you, where you do sin and you, you, you get involved with the flesh or whatever, you, whatever, whatever your deal is. This is a very low way to live. Notice I have stepped out of the light just for a moment for example purposes, Pastor Adam. Forgive me. But I'm stepping out of the light. That makes people on Facebook not be able to see me very well because I'm stepped out of the light. That is also an added illustration that I was not expecting. So now I'm in darkness. It's not as bright. I can't see as well. 
I'm not shining for the Lord. I'm involved in some low things. Now, you can spend all your life preaching about down here and trying to kill the snakes and defeat it and whip it. All you got to do is rise back up to here where the, the highway is, where, where God's. So God says, come up to me. Come up here to me. And God calls you out, out of that, not because he has to whip all that because it's already been whipped at the cross. He's just getting, telling you to come. I have a higher way for you to live. And if you'll just step up here with me, there's none of that up here with me. With God, there is no shadow of turning. There is no sin. There is no darkness in him. There's none of that in him. And so when he calls you out of that, you don't have to fight all of that. Just step up to him. You, when, when, it, when you turn to God, you have automatically turned your back on sin. You don't have to try to whip sin before you turn to God. The Bible says those angels said good tidings of great joy till we bring to all people. Good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. If you don't have great joy, it's because you have not heard the good tidings. Because the good tidings, which equals the good news, which equals the gospel, brings great joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's, it's good tidings. And see, if, if you don't have great joy, if I don't have great joy... It's because I have not either not heard about the good tidings or I have been told the wrong thing about the good tidings. But when you really get a revelation of the good tidings, you'll have great joy. And you have strength. Strength for what? Strength to walk on the highway instead of the low way. Strength to live a different life. See, I want to tell you something that Satan really loves to do, and that is to use guilt, shame, and condemnation. Now, I want to tell you something. Those three things, guilt, shame, and condemnation, I had no idea that they were going to pick a song that talked about that today. But I just said, thank you, Holy Ghost, one more time for helping a brother out. Guilt, shame, and condemnation are not ever used by God to get you to change. God never, ever has nor will use guilt, shame, or condemnation. They are not part of his arsenal for change. They're not. And, and, and so if you're dealing with guilt, shame, and condemnation, that's because you're sin conscious. And, and, and let me tell you this, and you can be an, an absolute born-again believer and be just sin conscious because I've lived that life. Sin consciousness, and, I, you know, that's a whole other sermon, and this will be revelation to some of you like, I don't know, I ain't never heard that before. It's all right. Keep coming, you'll keep hearing it. But sin consciousness is when you're constantly asking God to forgive you. And the reason you're asking him to forgive you is because you're not sure you are. And then even Christians to say, well, I asked God to forgive me, and I believe that if I ask him, you know, and I confess my sins, then he's forgiven me. Well, why did you ask him to, twice to forgive you the same sin? If you've ever asked God twice to forgive you over the same sin, it's because you didn't believe you were forgiven the first time you asked him. And then what magical happens that you know that you are actually forgiven when do you know that actual exchange occurs when you feel better three days from now when you stop talking about 
I mean, when? How do you, you don't even know. You don't even know. You got no way of knowing. Well, it's by faith, Brother Dale. Yeah, right. Well, why'd you ask twice then? We're back around there again. Hello, here, here again. We've been here before. But when you thank God for forgiveness, you can move on away from that sin and move out of that and, and, and give no thought of that. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again because why? He knows he's righteous. And he's righteous before he falls and he's righteous after he falls because his righteousness is a gift, not something he achieved. It's something he received. And so it's just a totally different way. See, we talked about the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in the New Testament, in Hebrews 12 and 24, the blood of Jesus, listen to me, speaks a better thing than the blood of Cain or Abel. Remember, Cain murdered Abel. And then God said that he heard Abel's blood crying out from the ground. What was Abel's blood crying out? Vengeance, uh, punitive, uh, punishment, judgment. And, and listen, and the blood of Abel marked Cain as a vagabond, as a fugitive. And he was pursued all the days of his life and a wanderer and a stranger. And in other words, the blood of Abel marked Cain for, for the wrong that, that, that Cain did. But the blood of Jesus, God draws parallel to that. But the blood of Jesus speaks better things. What the blood of Jesus did is it marked you and I for the right things that Jesus did on our behalf. And it marked us. How did it mark us? It marked you as righteous. It marked you as justified. It marked you as holy. It marked you as sanctified. And it put a mark upon you. That's why you had to worry about no mark of the beast. You've already been marked. God set his seal upon you. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. This is, M, this is what, MC Hammer. You can't touch this. I told you this before. It's like taking a nice filet mignon steak and, and vacuum sealing it into a, well, into that. Vacuum sealed in that plastic. You know what I'm talking about, right? So they vacuum seal it in there. No air can get to it. Now, you can see it, but it's sealed. A fly can see it and go, yay, let me land on that. Let me have a little bite of filet mignon. He can land on it, and, and, but he can't eat none of it. Can't touch this. Y'all ain't getting me today. <laughs> see, now sometimes as we come by and all we see is the flies on a, the, the Christian. They've been vacuum sealed. And all we can see is the fly, and we think there's bad meat. No, it's just, it's just something on the outside. We're seeing the flesh. We're seeing... But they're still sealed. See, when you are sin conscious, you're always asking God to do what he's already done, and that's forgive your sin. Not only did Jesus forgive your sin, he took sin away. And the day that you come into the revelation that he actually did do what he came to do, he took sin away, and the Bible's not lying when John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. When you actually do believe that and that becomes real to you, it's going to change your world. It's going to clear up a lot of free time for you. And when you can just thank him for forgiveness, then you just move on. So, listen, you, 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 don't, you don't wake up every day as sin looking for some place to happen. 
that's, that's really the way a lot of Christians wake up. You know, they wake up, they have been drilled, preached, taught that they are, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, Brother Dale. See, and you think it's humble. And it's religiously nauseating to the believer that's received the revelation of God's grace. Because it's not humble, it's deception. You're, you're, see, this whole thing is, is identity. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace. See, if, if you're sin conscious, then that's your tree and that's your fruit. That's your tree, that's your fruit. What do I mean by that? Jesus said either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree evil and its fruit evil. And see, you think that's about the fruit. And the fruit is not about your actions, it's about your identity. Does the fruit make the tree or does the tree make the fruit? Shikamoshundai. Come on now. Does the fruit make the tree or does the tree make the fruit? The tree makes the fruit. What does that mean, make the tree good? Because when you know your identity, if you know you're a lemon tree, you're going to produce lemons because you can't produce anything else. If you're born of the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit is your portion. Because the Spirit can't produce anything else. To them that are led by the Spirit, they will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. A lemon tree cannot produce apples. It, can, it can't do it. And see, what you do is you go, well, look, I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at what I'm doing. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've manifested some rotten things here. So I must be rotten. No, you need to get your identity firmly established and believe the word of God and believe that you are who God says you are. I am who he says I am. We sing it all the time. And you know you a lemon tree, so make some lemons, baby. And live like a lemon tree and act like a lemon tree. And talk like a lemon tree and smell like a lemon tree. And quit living like a hypocrite and trying to produce something that you're not. Amen. You're not that any longer. The old you has been crucified. That's not who you are. Stop living in a low way. Stop living that inferior, substandard, polluted life. You used to eat at the county landfill. You used to eat out the dumpster. Don't eat out the dumpster no more. You've been delivered. You got money in your pocket and you can eat anywhere you want to. Stop eating out the dumpster. Stop living like you a vagabond. Stop living like you've been marked for retribution and retaliation and vengeance and judgment. That's not your lot. That's not your portion. You are a child of the king. You've been knighted by him. You know, they still do this. The, the queen of England, not some time back, she knighted Ringo Starr. You ever see that? And, and she has a scepter. And sometimes they use a sword. And, 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 and people are still knighted. And so they come before that monarch, that, that king or that queen, and they kneel. And then that, that, they take that scepter or that sword and they touch them on their shoulder and then they say a lot of words. But when they get up, they're not the same person they were before they knelt. Now they, their name has changed. Their sir or Lord this, or whatever the title is that they were knighted. And everything changes. What they can wear has just changed. The title, the positions, the places they can go, the things that they can avail themselves, everything's changed just because somebody touched something on their shoulder and said some words. The Bible says that God rules this kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom that's ruled with a scepter of righteousness. And God says that when, my, when you're born again, he gives you the gift 
of righteousness. Not yours, his. He took his righteousness, his scepter, his son, and he bestowed all of that on you. And he declared you now royalty. You're part of the royal family. You are a peculiar people, a royal generation. <laughs> oh, that's what it says. That's what the word of God says. You are a chosen people, peculiar. You're royalty. Your daddy is king of kings and Lord of lords. He's not just a king. He's a king of kings. And see, now I know what you think when you hear that. You think that that means that our God is a king and that there's still kings on the earth and he's king over them. That ain't what it means at all. The Bible says that when you got born again, you are now kings and priests of the Most High God. So when you got born again, you got made a king. Queen for the ladies, if that helps you. And you are a king in the kingdom of God. And what do kings do? They give out commands. They make declarations. They give orders. They make decrees. You, you're living way below your means. You, you, you need to use your kingship. You need to use that part. You need to use your royal priesthood. And so, you, so when he says, I'm king of kings, he's talking about you. He said, I'm a king with a kingdom of kings. I'm a king of kings, and I'm lord of lords, and fairest of ten thousands. I'm the bright and the morning star. I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and I am the ending. I, I, I'm the one that saw all of it before it all was. If your dad is rich, what's your problem? Ooh. See, we, 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 we think that our ability to sin makes us a sinner. I've said for years, I still have the capacity to sin. I just don't have the capacity to enjoy it any longer. I might even enjoy it in that brief moment of pleasure that it produces for the flesh. But after that, I don't enjoy it. Why don't I enjoy it? Why do I feel shame, guilt, condemnation? They're not tools of God. God's not doing it to you. See, I didn't wake up to fail today. Did you wake up to fail? You got sin circled in the calendar for today? Got some sin plans after we leave here today? Got some sinning to get done before midnight? Hmm? If you do now, Somebody's put some voodoo on you. Not Christianity. See, I didn't wake up to fail. Well, why do Christians wake up after they're saved? Wake up, go to heaven? No. We wake up to bring heaven here. In other words, I, I didn't wake up to be loved by you. Listen to me now. Listen to this. There's so many bombs in this message today, it's just unreal. I didn't wake up to be loved by you because if I wait, if I, if I awaken today just to be loved by you, I'm only as good today as you let me be. And I go, how, how you doing, Brother Dale? 
I don't know. You tell me how I'm doing, how much you love me. <laughs> see, because my day, see, but I didn't wake up to be loved by you. I, I, I woke up to be, to, to love. Therefore, if you don't love me, then you still can't hurt me because my hope's not in you. It's in the Lord. It's a totally different way of living. But if you wake up every day for somebody to love you, then you're only as good that day as the way you feel like you're being loved. And I want to tell you something. Nobody around you will ever love you to the level you think you deserve. Not even your spouse. Really. And, you'll, and so they'll always come up short, and then you'll think it's their problem, so you want to change spouse and get you another one. And you, you know, I don't mean that people don't go through, you understand what I'm saying. But a lot of that is the root of that flawed thinking. Well, people need to love me. They only might recognize me, need to appreciate me. And a lot of stuff that people do for one another, sometimes there's a, I don't even know if people understand it, but there's a motive behind it. I remember here, it's been years ago, but in a former church, lady bought something for another lady. Anyway, so the person, you know, went to somebody, bought a, 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 a it was clothing of some type for one lady. She gave the clothing to the lady, but it was a color that the lady but they were good friends and all. But anyway, she bought this color and she gave it to her. And, you know, here, you know, here's your present. Open it up. <laughs> you know, open the present. You know, and he goes, wow. And he could tell him, she said, well, what's wrong? You don't like that? Well, that's not really the color I would wear. She was honest with her. We're friends, right? Be honest. It's not really a color that I wear. What? It's not a color you wear. Sure it is. What's wrong with it? And then you got all this going on, this yang yang back in two. And now you got hurt feelings. Well, it hurts my feelings. Because I, I didn't even have the money to get that, but I sacrificed to get that for you. And you're not very appreciative. So you want me to wear a color that I don't like just to make you happy. So this ain't present, this present ain't about me now. I'm seeing that the present's more about you than it is about me. This present was for you to be able to extract something from me for yourself. That's the reason you give me this is not for me's sake. It was to get you some. Now we know what we're talking about. That happens all the time. It's going to happen here in a few days with Valentine. <laughs> Men give stuff with expectations, not just for the sure joy of giving. Now I gave that to you. What you going to give to me? I get off of that. But I'm saying a lot of times people's motives behind what they do, why they do, it's not really, it's not pure. And see, and I said this several, several weeks ago in a sermon, and I hope you caught it, a lot of times, and, and we shouldn't stop using the word, I'm not get us paranoid here, but a lot of times when people say, I love you, what they're really saying is I need you. When they say, I love you, what they're really telling you is, I need you. But love doesn't need anything. Love is not puffed up. It's not proud. It doesn't require anything. It doesn't need. And God is love. And God doesn't need anything. God love before you. God's love after you. God's love. God doesn't have love. God is love. We've got that term so messed up in America. We love golf. We love Big Macs. We love whatever. You know, we, you know, and I think we need to bring the word like back in. We like golf. We like this, but you ain't in love with golf. Golf don't love you back. It, golf make you cuss and throw clubs. If you've ever played it, <laughs> they can call it a holy game if they want to. A lot of cussing on them 18 holes. 
I remember one time, and I'm not a golfer, but when I was the chief of the Merchant Medical Service in Tifton, they would have an annual golf tournament, and so they, they uh, taught me into to play it. And I, I didn't play enough. They, they want to know what's your handicap. I said, how long you got? <laughs> I didn't know what they were talking about, a handicap. I thought they were talking about, you know, I got some handicaps. You want to hear about them? I guess I can share that. What's that got to do with golf, you know? So anyway, this guy took me over to Worth County to the golf course that we were going to be playing on. They were holding it that year in uh, Sylvester, Worth County Country Club. And so he said, I want you to play today, and I'll figure out your handicap for you. And I said, okay, whatever that is. I had a, you know, horrible day. I didn't do well at all. So that made me have a, I understand, a higher handicap or something, you know. Handicap like you get extra points or something. I don't know what all that. And, uh, but anyway, so then I went back a week later to the tournament, and it was, it was uh, 27 holes, the tournament was. And I remember the guy that was riding in the buggy with me was the amulet salesman out of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. We bought, I bought amulets from him for our county. And so he was, he was, he was a really good golfer. And uh, so we were playing, and on this big board, every time you go through nine holes, they would put your score up, had your name. Well, with my hand, and I was having a good day that day. I guess their anointing was on me or something. I don't know. I, I was doing well, and I'd come around, and I was leading the pack. And then people started cussing at me, calling me a sandbagger. I had to figure out. I said, what they calling me that for? Because they said, you sandbagged on your handicap. In other words, you, you really are better than what you, your handicap indicates. Anyway, long story. I mean, one time I was playing with this guy, and he was just not having a good day at all. And one time he just, mm, he just, mm, mm. and he said, man, you being a preacher is really hindering my golf game. <laughs> he said, I'm not able to cuss near as much as I normally need to to play this game. <laughs> Do you know I won that tournament? Didn't I, baby? First place. I come home to Jill. I got a pair of golf shoes was part of the deal. I got a big high trophy and I think a couple hundred dollars. I come home, baby, I won. I whooped all them guys. <laughs> I won. You know, I, I ain't hard to play much more. It was just weird. I don't know where, where I was at with all that. <laughs> but you didn't wake up to fail. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. Let's try to get back there. They are tools of the devil, not God. God doesn't use them. Uh, and he doesn't loan them out to the devil for him to use them. They're purely demonic. And they make us run from God instead of running to God. And if you get the imagery in the garden, Adam and Eve are sin conscious. They're going to try to fix their own problem. And the brilliant minds get together and they come up with fig leaves for clothes. That is a picture of man's mind on religion. Let me make up a religion that will handle my sin problem. And this is, we're going to sew this together. We're going to teach this. We're going to do this. And we're going to call it religion. And this will take care of our problem. And it's just really a joke. And they're the ones that's hiding from God. That's sin conscious living. But, but, but clothed, in other words, with sin conscious, you, you, all you can think about is you. And listen, guys, the first result of sin was you got selfish. Self, you notice self, I'm naked. 
And you know, when God came in the evening, the cool of the evening again after they'd sinned, he talked to Adam and he said, Adam, where are you? And God just wants you to see where you are. Listen, this is not normal, buddy. You're hiding from me. We, we walk together every day. What are you doing? What's this ridiculous fig leaves you got on here? You understand? It's going to blow away pretty quick, right? It's going to dry out. And then your nakedness is going to be exposed again. You need something more substantial to take care of that. And, and, and God's talking, and he said, God said, what's wrong, man? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Because if you eat of it, I told you you'd die. Did you eat of that tree, son? He said, well, Lord, I was naked, and I hid from you when I heard the sound of your voice coming to God. I hid from you. Just at the sound of God, people hide. Just the sound of God coming, they'll hide. And he said, I hid from you because I was naked. And this is what God says. We miss this in the Bible. God said, who told you? You was naked. See, somebody's told you some lies. Who told you you wasn't going to make it? Who told you you wasn't worth nothing? Who told you you was an alcoholic? Who told you you was a drug addict? Who told you you was this or that? Who told you that? Who told you? See, the problem is not God didn't do that. Somebody told you that. You believed it. Now you took it on as identity. That's not who you are. Who told you? See, the lesson in the garden is not got, God got mad, kicked them out because they broke a rule. That's all lies. What God did is it broke his heart. He put the cherubim to keep the way back to the tree of life, and he, and he did remove them from the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and live in that fallen condition the rest of their eternal existence. And God said, I'm not letting that happen to you. Love you too much. God wasn't angry. God wasn't mad. God didn't kick them out. The whole lesson from the garden is not don't break God's rules or it'll cost you. The lesson from the garden is be careful what voice you listen to and what you believe. Because somebody told them something that was not so. And it was an identity problem. It was an identity problem. So what is guilt? Guilt is a subconscious confession that I'm not forgiven. Therefore, I'm still guilty. So you feel guilty. Because you don't believe deep down that you're, you've been forgiven. You can hope you've been, but you're not, you, you're not convinced you are. Condemnation is this, this subconscious feeling that I am not worthy really to be redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, I'm, not, I'm worthy to be judged by God. The word condemnation translated in English in your Bible's condemnation for example, Romans 8 and 1, there is, down, there is now therefore no condemnation. It is the same word judgment. There is no judgment. The root word of that is punishment. There is no punishment. One of the most reactatory blogs I ever put out was we are unpunishable as a Christian. Oh, my God. The religious came out like ants coming out of an anthill that's been kicked. I'm telling you, here they come. What? How dare he say we are unpunishable? By God you are, because Jesus bore your punishment. Jesus bore you. God said, I've already condemned sin in the flesh of my son. That's what the Bible says. So God's already bore. I, don't, I didn't say there wasn't no consequences for dumb choices. There's consequences, and you do suffer, and you do hurt yourself, and God don't want you to. But I'm, the point I've always, I, I know I beat this all the time, but God don't, God's not behind it. He's not behind your pain. He's not behind your difficulty. He's not paying you back. You're not going through tough times financially, physically, or any other way because you sinned 10 years ago and now you've turned the corner reaping the harvest. No. 
No, God's, God has already removed the sin problem, the sin of the world. So, so shame is you believing that you're still that thing that you did. In other words, you're still that. In other words, you've taken on what you did as your identity. And again, it's just always back to this. And see, listen, guys, we allow our human experience, the things that we experience to trump God's grace and, and the goodness of God. And I, want, I just want to hit this one thing, and then I'm going to be done. This, 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 this thing is so prevalent in most of the church. Well, nobody's perfect, Brother Dale. I, way back before Christmas, I ordered a little Facebook ad pack. And I tried to. I didn't do it this week. And there's reasons why, but it doesn't matter. But uh, I try to put out every week some little thing on Facebook and on all three of our uh, uh, Facebook pages and my personal one as well as the church and then the, the ministry one that I use uh, uh, with, you know, grace uh, teachings and, uh, and just try to invite people to church here every Sunday. And I ordered this little ad pack that was for sale and whatever. And, and I know in that little, it has the little imagery, and you can use it without fear of copyright infringement and all that kind of stuff. And um, so in that was, I, I, I guarantee you that I'm just going to be conservative and say five, there's at least five slides that say we're not perfect. It's just, that's a big deal in church. Churches love to tout that. Come to our church, you know, we're not perfect. Come down here to the rest of us and bring your sin right along with us and we'll just all pile in here and, you know, compare sin. We're not, because nobody's perfect. Y'all know that. Ain't nobody perfect. And see, here I come along, and I write a blog that says, good people don't go to heaven, only perfect people go to heaven. Oh, my God. Here they come again. Kick the anthill again. Here they come. What? Nobody's perfect. And then I love saying, you better be. And so what does the Bible say about that? The first public sermon Jesus ever preached is the Sermon on the Mount. Starts in Matthew 5. The last verse of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this to, to the shock of his hearers. Be ye perfect. And then they're thinking, how perfect is the brother talking here? And he says, as perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Who then can be saved? Nobody if you're basing it on what you're going to do. You're all lost. You're all done for. But I'm not going to save you based on what you're going to do. I'm going to save you based on what I'm going to do. That, that's what Jesus did. And so, so then we get over here to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, and you hear the heart of God on this subject. He says here he's talking about the law. Versus grace. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come. How many is going to go after church today and eat a shadow of a hamburger? <laughs> You're going to still be hungry. I, I don't want the chicken. Just give me the shadow of the chicken. You're going to be hungry. It's not going to satisfy you. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come. And not the very image of the things can never satisfy, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Apparently God wants the people that approach him to be perfect. For then, verse 2, they would not have ceased to be offered, would they not? For the worshipers once, how many times purified? 
once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. They're not sin-conscious people. But in those sacrifices that they do, there's a reminder of their sins every year. And what we do in America is we bring people to church and we remind them of their sins every Sunday. And most people get reminded of their sins every day. Down in verse 14, same Hebrews 10th chapter says, For by one offering he has, Jesus has perfected how long? Forever those who are being sanctified. Who are those that are being sanctified? Everybody that accepts Jesus. Sanctified means what? Holy, set apart. And then you get over to chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 23. He clears up the mystery of this perfection thing. He says, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Have y'all registered in heaven? You better. How do you do that, Brother Dale? Receive Jesus, man. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits. Everybody say spirits. Notice that's the little, little s, spirits. To the spirits of just men. What does the word just means? Justified. Justified, justified, never sinned. That's how I stand before God, justified, never sinned. I got no sin record. My sin account has a zero balance. The spirits of just men made perfect. What did he make perfect when you got born again? I just read it to you. What did he make perfect when you got born again? Your spirit. Did he make your soul perfect? Your mind, will, and emotions. No, you go off on people in the heart. No, he didn't make that perfect. But that's being renewed. Day by day, renewed by the word of God. Transformation is occurring. Have hope. Did he make your flesh perfect? No. If you was pretty before you got saved, you're still pretty afterwards. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> your flesh stayed the same. Whatever size you was when you knelt and received Christ, when you got up, your pants didn't fall off. Whoa, God, this made me buff there. I didn't know this was part of salvation. I got saved a long time. No, you're still the same size. If you had a temper before you got saved, you got a temper after you get saved. Oh, now we're getting on down. It's quieting off now. It's a, you got set in a new direction, but you still got some stuff to work with. And that's the part we focus on and go, where nobody's perfect. We understand, I hope you do now, that the manifestation that we put out, the flesh and our emotions are not perfect. Uh, I'm not making allowances for that, and I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal, I think, because we're, our, our, our privilege is to shine for the Lord. And people can't see our spirit. All they can see is our flesh. They can, all they can hear the words that come out of our mouth and the anger that comes out of our lips and whatever that is. I mean, that's all they can see. And, but I do believe the longer we go in this journey and the more Christ-like we become in manifesting what he did on the inside, the more of that we'll be able to display. Is that fair? Come on now. And so, so but, but all I'm saying is... When Jesus was on the cross, the last words he ever said, is he says, it is finished. The word finished, Jesus used, is the exact same word perfect. He has perfected forever. It's the exact same Greek word. So what does, he has perfected once and for all. He has perfected forever. It, it means it's finished, it's finished, never having to be done again. And so when you got born again, God made you perfect. God made you perfect. And, and listen, and listen, listen to this. I'm ending with this statement. If we do not start our Christian life where he finished, we will get tricked into trying to do what he has already done 
listen, in our own strength, and I promise you we're going to fail, and then we're going to get discouraged, and we're going to say Christianity don't work. I've tried that. I, it didn't work for me. It didn't work. It, no, because you got tricked. Paul in Galatians said they got bewitched. Same word, tricked. He said, who has tricked you, Galatians, that you begun in the spirit, and now you think you're going to finish it in the flesh? Somebody's tricked y'all. Somebody came here and preached another gospel that was not the gospel at all. And that's not my gospel, Paul said, and that's not what I delivered to you when you were born again. And so he said, you have been bewitched. And he rebuked them strong, more strong than any uh, New Testament epistle. And so you and I today can get tricked into trying to get what we've already got or try to do something that has already been done by Christ. And that is what is known as religious busy work that accomplishes nothing but your discouragement. Because if you try to do this in your own strength, you're going to fail every time. I will fail. We will all fail miserably. We will fail. But you don't have to do what's already been done because you've already been declared and gifted righteousness. You've been set aside and sanctified and declared holy before God as a gift. You have been given the mind of Christ. You've been given all these things, and God made your spirit perfect, and your spirit's perfect. Even when you sin on the outside, you've got to see your spirit's like that, 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 that you know, flaming on steak. You've been sealed. That's why if you, once you get this understood, then you'll understand when you read 1 John that whosoever's been born of God cannot sin. Why can't they sin? That's the most... That's the most confusing statement to people that just casually read the Bible, go through churches that preach. But it says that. It don't say it's hard to sin. It says you can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible for them to sin, it says. And he's writing to believers. For whatsoever has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. That's 1 John in chapter 5. But he says he said it's impossible for them to sin because the seed of God, the word seed there is spermazoa. Your daddy's kid. You look like daddy. Make the tree good or make its fruit good. You, you, your identity, you, you, you can't sin. Not before God. God's already taken away sin issue. Now you can be foolish and you can be fleshly and carnal and you can step down into the, and start eating in the, in the dumpster again. And, you, and that's your choice because you still have a choice. You still, you're not going to lose nothing. Because God don't un unchild his children. Amen. That's my last blog I put out. Amen. I love to aggravate people with these titles. God will never unchild his child. Once you're his child, you're his child. You're his kid. I'm not going to unchild my children. They've grown. They've done things before that I wasn't, you know, didn't want them to do. Why didn't I want them to do it? My rules? No. My hurt. I love them. I don't want them to see them involved in things that are hurting themselves and, and hurting them. And I'll tell you something, for you that got little ones, when, they, when they're 20 and 30, it don't get no better, baby. You can think, oh, well, they're 30 now, they're on there. No, they, when they're when they, when they messing up in 30, it's hurting you like it did when they were 3 or 13. It still hurts. They're your kid. You, they're always going to be your kid. I used to understand that. I'd be a grown man. My mama said, you're always going to be my baby. Man, I'm a grown man. Mom, I got a beard. What are you talking about? No, that's our baby. That's our baby. I mean, when I had open heart surgery, of course, I didn't know about this. I had open heart surgery, and then they had to take, you know, I had some problems, and they had to take me back and open me up a second time. I told my wife back from the hotel, and it was, you know, they didn't know if I was going to make it there for a little bit. 
That's the truth. You know, we ain't talked about all that much, but they, they just said, you got to get back here. He's bleeding out in his chest. We nicked the artery, and his left lung's collapsed. And we have him take him back, open him back up again. But that wasn't good news. And so my, my daughter called my mom, and my, my dad was sick and dealing with all his stuff and dementia. And, and mama sat on that phone and with Kristen for however many hours it was while they were doing that second surgery. She would not hang up the phone and wanted to know. She just held the phone. That's, that's your mama. She just held the phone because she wanted to make sure, number one, they come back and say, that boy's still alive. Still there. You don't think God loves us more than my own mama and our dads and parents? Sure he does. His love's perfect. As great as her love is, it's not perfect. But God's is. That's why love never fails. Our love for each other fails all the time because our love ain't perfect. But God's love, the reason love never fails is because God's love and God never fails. And love never fails because God never fails. Amen? And, and, and so when Jesus said it's finished, it's finished for, for he did it. Well, you and I begin our walk right there. We begin and continue where he finished. Not to accomplish what he done, but to walk in the splendor and the glory and the revelation and the gifts of all that he accomplished in the finished work of the cross. And we take on that identity and we, we declare the tree that we, we are good fruit. I will manifest good fruit because this is the tree I am. And you know your identity in Christ Jesus and what he done. Because God so loved you. What kind of value I used to hear that, and I used to think, well, that's right. Uh, God overpaid for me. Because if you look at Jesus and then what he paid for me, I wasn't worth much. See how that, that little humility you think trail leads? And I'm saying, well, I'm just this, and I'm just a worm, and, you know, you know, and Jesus, he's all that, you know, and he's, no, God don't waste anything. And God just hit me with that this week. Nobody walks on the car lot, son, and pays $50,000 for something that ain't worth but twenty. So if I paid that for you, that means that equals your value to me. And that blew my mind. <laughs> Can you believe the value that God placed on you that he would pay that that was needed to be paid to redeem you, purchase you back from the enemy? Whew. Man, that's good. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, give God praise as you stand. All righty. Man, I love you guys. Y'all really got me fooled around here. Y'all act like y'all love the Bible and the Word. and Y'all into it. How about tweeting some of them bombs I threw out here today? Man, I was pulling pins, throwing hand grenades. Come on. Truth bombs. I like to call them truth bombs. Blow that religion up, man. The truth will set you free. Amen. That's what Jesus said. Well, I want my elders to come and the prayer ministry team, if needed, we just come up here and let's be here for the, for the people. If you want prayer for any reason, man, the greatest thing you can do is just say, you know what, man, I came here today. I'm not born again, but I'm about to be right now because I'm putting my faith and trust in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he's new creation. You know, why don't, why don't it say if any man be in Jesus? It don't say that. It don't say if any man be in Jesus, he's new creation. It said if any man be in Christ. You don't, you don't think God knew how to write the Bible? Why did he flip the words? Is Christ in you? Christos. 
you know, because Christ identifies him as the, the resurrected one, the resurrected one, the Messiah, the resurrected one. So God wants your life to begin at his resurrection. So when God tells you to take up your cross and follow me, he ain't talking about you've got to pay for this now. It's already free. He's saying when you take up your cross, you know what your cross is? My cross is his cross. I ain't claiming nothing but what he did on that cross. So when I take, when Dale takes up his cross, I'm just taking up his cross. But it's my cross because it's been personal now to me. And I've believed in that and I've accepted it. So I take on his righteousness. That was paid for on that cross. I take upon his forgiveness. I don't have to ask for it. I just thank him that I do have it. Thank you, Lord, that I am forgiven. And I move on past that mistake or failure or sin. Totally different way of living. I take on his identity. He said, it's finished. I believe him. So I start where he finished. And I have a whole new life and a new way to live. And I didn't wake up to fail. And I didn't wake up for you to make me have a good day. I wake up to love you. If you don't receive it, I'm still good. I wake up to be loved by him. He never fails. I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to have trouble. I'm going to have tribulations. Things are not going to go just like I want it. But God did not save you so that you'll have a precious day every day and no problems at the workplace. You're going to have some problems and difficulty, but he's going to be with you through them all. And you're going to have an opportunity to shine, and you're going to have an opportunity to look different than the other folks that's cussing the boss out behind his back. You're going to have an opportunity to show something different that's on the inside of you because it's a person. And then before long, that person's going to come over there and say, well, William, why don't you do like I do? Why don't you lose it? Because things are different. God's changed everything. Amen? So I'm going to pray. If you want prayer, please come. If you don't, then please shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, make them feel welcome at Grace Point. We can't wait to see you again tomorrow night for the leadership and then next Sunday for all of you guys. Amen. Father, I love you. Thank you for your word, for your gifts, for your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want prayer, please come this way. We're waiting on you. God bless you. We love you, Grace Point.